0: Brought to you, as always, by our exclusive wagering partner, BetOnline. Go to BetOnline.ag. Use the code CLNS50 for a 50% welcome bonus on your initial deposit. BetOnline is back and better than ever. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back for another football season. As always, BetOnline is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. A new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, contests, BetOnline continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today. Once again, use the code CLNS50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your initial deposit from football to basketball, boxing, your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Once again, bet online where the game starts. Use the code CLNS50 for 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit.
2: Hello everybody. And welcome into a new edition of the Patriots beat podcast podcast. Powered by the Legends brand, I am Evan Lazar, joined as always by Alex Barth, and you see it right there. Legends.com, promo code PATS20 to save 20% off on your first order. I think Alex and I, I'm wearing the shorts right now. Alex, are you wearing the shirt? Yeah, saying?
1: right there it is. Yes. There's the, yep.
2: There's the logo. That We love it. So go and uh, use that promo code with our friends at Legends.com. But now let's talk some football, and Alex, a tough loss for the Patriots on Sunday, 28 to 13 to the New Orleans Saints. There are some positives that I ended up taking away from this game tape, though. And this is one of those situations where you come off the game. And Sunday night, Monday morning, you feel like they played like crap, right? You just feel like it was a bad performance, and on the whole it was. But then you're able to take a step back, reevaluate, and, and look at the tape a little bit deeper and discover that there were some good things that the Patriots did in this game. Did you have the same kind of process of an initial, initial reaction was, oh, this is going to be a long season, but then maybe digesting it a little bit more, you saw some good things.
1: I, yeah, I don't know about that. It was more just, we talked about this a lot after the first game. The issues they had were were seemed easily fixable. It's just a matter of yeah. fixing them. But it doesn't look like they've gotten to that. So yeah. it's like, okay, like I, the problems I I still see, the problems I saw are still there. And I still think they can fix them easily, but it doesn't look like there's been progress to that. So that's where I'm at.
2: Yeah, that that's a that's a fair statement, right? Is because you're. I guess I would I would
1: call it impatience. I'm not, you know, it's not necessarily worrisome. You're getting a little impatient here.
2: Yeah, so I, I, you're definitely getting. I totally understand the impatience, but what I I think I ended up coming in my takeaways that I came up with in film review and and just watching this game back is when you watch what's happening to this offense, the good news that I took away from watching the all 22, and I'm going to pull up a play as, as we do every week here in, in a few minutes, but the good news from watching the all 22 is that I no longer feel that the Patriots are not getting open down the field, right? I no longer feel that this is a receiver separation issue. To me, what we're seeing more is protection issues, of course, and that, in a lot of ways is just as bad, right? I mean, it it doesn't really matter which one it is. If it's not getting done, it's not getting done. But at least we've moved on from there's nobody open or even when guys are open, there are tight window throws that are difficult to make consistently over and over again, right? There is so many instances in this game where there were times where receivers are running free down the field, but unfortunately, just because of the lack of protection, there's no way that Mac was going to be able to deliver the ball there. So we've migrated from receiver separation discussions to now offensive line discussions. I'm not sure which one's necessarily better or worse, but it feels like based off the talent level of the offensive line that they should be able to fix that more readily than, let's say, last year when we knew that Demir Bird and Jacoby Myers were going to be their top two receivers, and it just was what it was.
1: And and I think on top of that, you know, if the receivers were the problem, well, the, this is it. This is the group, right? You can't do anything about it. The offensive line is still going to get Trent Brown back. We think it right. should get Trent Brown back. And you always have – because to me, the struggles have really been at the tackles. There's been some issues inside, but, you know, I don't think anything with, with – with Michael and Wendell moving in, and you got to get used to playing with with, with guys like – I. the inside guys, to me, have done enough. I don't know that, you know, they've been perfect, but – if the, if the inside guys were their biggest problem, they would get by. I don't think we'd necessarily be talking a ton about it. It's the tackles to me that have been the issue. And you're going to get Trent Brown back on one side. And as, you know, much as they don't want to play that card, there is the option always once Brown comes back where you move him from right to left, you move on Wenu out to, to, to right tackle, and then you put Ted Karras in. So There's, again, there's a way to do it and Trent Brown will come back and you have the Ted Karras card in your back pocket. So I, I, I'm not worried in the long term. It's just, well, okay. It took them long enough to figure out you see her Durant can't play. Right. And now they're still fine, kind of figure like Justin Huron had a rough game. He got bullied by, by cornerbacks in that game. Yanni Kajus is still on the bench. So it's like, all right, you know, let's go here. We, I, I know they want to evaluate players early. I talked about that last week. All right. To me, they've been evaluated. I don't know what else they're waiting to see here. Like, let's, let's, let, let's go to the default options.
2: Yeah. And this, I, I, I'm reluctant to call it stubbornness because I, I think that that's not fair necessarily to Belichick, but this reluctance, let's call it that, right? Let's, it's this reluctance to move Michael on to right tackle and put Ted Karras in at left guard is starting to cost them games at this point. Yeah. And I think the reluctance is there because they feel like Trent Brown is coming back and they don't need to play that card until one of their tackles is going to miss significant time. But we've talked about this so many different times. And the quickest way for your – you can have Tom Brady and Randy Moss and all these receivers out here. You can be the Chiefs. You can be the Bucks. If you don't have good offensive line play, the whole house of cards comes crashing down. It doesn't matter. If you can't protect the quarterback, then you're not going to have a good downfield passing game. It's that simple. So what they're doing by – playing around with it with Justin Heron who played most of this game at right tackle as you mentioned gave up six quarterback pressures five hurries and a QB hit and that was probably being a little bit generous with how many times he actually lost blocks but it wasn't necessarily graded out with the pressure so Cam Jordan took his lunch money right i mean it was right. it was a bully ball type of situation with Cam Jordan so what you're seeing is that a downfield passing game that has all these new shiny new toys. It has a first round quarterback who is his eyes. Mac Jones is in the right places, right? He's getting to the right reads. He's trying to push the ball in the right directions. And the receivers are creating those opportunities down the field, but they're not able to get them the football because of the protection. And, And that is very frustrating. And I think watching it live when, you're only watching the TV broadcast and you're not seeing the openings down the field that the receivers are creating, we can fall into this sense of it's there's nobody open down the field, right? When in reality, this is a totally different issue that the Patriots are facing right now. So I want to get to our play because this is – what I tried to do when I watched this game back for a second time and and the coach's film was coming through is – something that I think is really important for this offense now, and that is what are they good at, right, from a passing standpoint? What are the three or four concepts that they're able to run that they can successfully run right now, right? And and this is one of them that I thought uh, we've been ragging on Josh McDaniels a whole lot on the program, Alex, so I I wanted to bring up this play because I thought this so far is Josh McDaniels' best design of a play that I've seen. Uh, the patriots run so this is the double post concept that we saw last week with a twist okay so instead of this only being a two receiver route combination they're going to add this route here at the top of the screen from jacoby myers so you're going to have nelson aguilar on this deep post route i I want to cut you off
1: here real quick because there is some breaking news that's pretty relevant oh okay uh the lions have released jamie collins
2: The Lions have here. We can get into that later in
1: the show, but that's, or do you want to get into it now?
2: And deliver our our breaking news once again. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, again, this is uh, per Tom Pelissaro. The Lions have released Jamie Collins. It's time. It's time. Let's go, Bill. Make the call.
2: So uh, we can talk about this a little bit more in detail later. But based off of the usage for Dante Hightower last week, and the fact that they took him off the field with Jelani Tavai going on, you know, getting some of that run there late in the game, and then also hearing from Belichick yesterday that Jawan Bentley suffered an injury in that game yesterday uh, on Sunday. I mean, and that's part of the reason why he didn't play as much down the stretch. This is clo- This is going to be interesting to see, right? I mean, th- this has to. There has to be a, some serious consideration, but let's, let's talk about the defense here in a, in a little bit. I want to, uh.
1: You can break- finish the play. I just wanted to probably, just, that seems like somewhat of a big deal.
2: Yes. Given I, everything. I so let's get back to the play here. So uh, I want to roll it just a little bit more just so we can get this motion out of there. Okay. So Jacoby's going to come in motion here and what they're going to do, like I said, is they're going to have this deep post concept here. A, uh, over route by Kendrick Bourne there and then Jacoby's going to run a crosser in the opposite direction. So you're basically putting these safeties in total conflict at this point, right? Like you can't help to everybody if you're a safety and somebody is going to be open in this concept. And the other thing that I really love about it is everybody, the three, when I say everybody, the three wide receivers in the route are in the right spots. Right, You have Nelson Aguilar on the deep route. You have Kendrick Bourne and Jacoby Myers on the intermediate route. This feels like Josh McDaniels figuring out who should be where. right? And, and, and that, I think, is a really good sign for the Patriots moving forward because it does take some time. It seems obvious to all of us, but ultimately it's going to take some time to figure out all these moving parts and all these new pieces. So as we roll the play here a little bit more, you're going to see the safety rotation, and you're going to see this cover three shell so this safety drops down into the deep third, post safety in the middle of the field, and you have the deep third over there. And basically, Mac all he has to do here is throw opposite of the safety rotation, right? When that strong side safety rotation happens, he now knows that he can work Jacoby Myers' crossing route. If it's a weak side safety rotation, he's going to work Kendrick Bourne's crossing route. And what we're going to get to here in a second is that there also are going to be opportunities to hit this play deep to Nelson Aguilar on the post route. So depending on the way the coverage rotates or the way that the defense plays this, Matt can throw all three receivers on this play, which I think is really what makes me excited about it so much is that there's a ton of options for him on this play. So as we roll it a little bit more, you're going to see these two guys here at the top of the screen take Kendrick Bourne. And that leaves single coverage here and single coverage there, right? So now all of a sudden you have two one-on-one matchups for your two wide receivers. And Jacoby Myers wins at the top of the route, creates the separation. Mac in the pocket back here, protected well. And I want to rewind it and get to the protection here in a second. And we're able to throw it and hit the ball down the field for a 17-yard game. So I want to go back to the protection, though, here for a second, because we just ragged on the offensive line for a few minutes. Finally, the Patriots actually pass off a T and e stunt for once, right? So the defensive end and the defensive tackle are going to stunt here, right? They're going to twist up here. And Isaiah Wynn and Michael Onwenu finally pass it off correctly. So if you just watch the line play, you're going to see that stunt come. They pass it off well. And look at this, a clean pocket two open receivers down the field, and Mac makes the throw. Imagine that, Alex, right? When you actually protect right. the quarterback, you can actually do uh, some things down the field. So I, here's the – I wasn't sure if I had the end zone angle. So now you can see the pass off. This is something that they're really struggling with in the O-line with the protections that needs to get buttoned down. And finally, you see Isaiah Wynn and Mike Onwenu pass this out uh, off properly. So there comes the stunt. They pass it off. They keep Mac Jones clean, and he can make this throw. So three different options to go to on this play. Good protection on the play. To me, that was the single best execution that I have seen the Patriots have on a passing concept, right? You had receivers get open, you had Mac make the read and make the throw, and you had the protection. So if you can start stacking those types of plays together, then we're in business.
1: Yeah. It's just, it's consistency. It's consistency that's killing them right now. I talked about it with, with Matt Dolloff uh, on the 98.5, the Sports Hub Patriots recap podcast earlier. It's consistency. That's what it comes down to.
2: Yeah, and so that was a really positive development. I thought there were a couple more plays in my film review that I broke down. I didn't want to pull up the close but no cigars because, look, a lot of teams have close but no cigars. But the point is receivers getting open down the field, when Mac is given time in the pocket, They're able to run that play and get a productive pass out of it. And like I said, in the future, when he jumps that crossing route, the deep safety, I do think that Mack might pull the trigger on the post to Nelson Aguilar. In that case, I I totally agree with the decision to go to Jacoby Myers, who was more open on that play than Nelson Aguilar was. But you hope that in the future, Nelson Aguilar creates some more separation and you can take a shot down the field as well. So just more of that. And ultimately, like I said, a a situation where I felt like looking back on the tape, there was a whole lot of positives in terms of the routes that were being run, where the receivers were, the separation that was being created down the field. And I'm no longer labeling or or concerned about some sort of – slow start for these weapons right i i think the weapons actually did their jobs on sunday for the most part outside of johnny smith and we can talk about that in a second as well
1: yeah i I, again i we can get into that a little more um i agree with what you said (laughs)
2: <laughs> i i love it when it comes sometimes to you it. just like capitalize i have nothing to add
1: and it's just like all right cool Good uh
2: bad. let's um firstly let, let's uh we got to shout out our our friends at legends uh here one more time and i uh, use that promo code pads 20 but alex what do you think of when you hear the name willie mcginnis
1: the goal line stop against the colts of course
2: you used that one last week you got to come no didn't i did not use
1: last week i used knocking out kurt warner And the week before that I used him telling all the the Steelers fans to cancel their reservations. Those are the big three. It's gonna get tougher after this. But those are the those are the big three.
2: Maybe I used that one last week and that was. I think you did. Yeah. What about legend? Well, add to that list, entrepreneur, because number 55 is one of several athletes who are investors and owners in the athletic apparel brand, Legends. That's right, Willie, along with guys like Steve Nash, Baker Mayfield, Matt Barnes, former Celtic Marcus Morris Sr., and even entertainment icon, Quavo, are just a few of the names building legends into the hottest apparel brand in the market. Visit legends.com today to shop the latest trends in the athletic apparel from shorts, tees, hoodies, and more, and save 20% when you use our code PATS20. That's legends.com and promo code PATS20. Before we move on to the defense, I want to discuss two more things. First and foremost, uh, the struggles of the offensive line, right? I I, I think that that's something that is really difficult to – we could be here for a couple of hours, honestly, breaking down – all of the issues that the Patriots have had with the protections and with the offensive line. But the main issues that I am seeing is something that Carmen Brasillo said today, which I thought was really a critical statement. And that was the Patriots having a sign in their offensive line meeting room that says, see it through the same set of eyes. And right now at we're seeing what the line, when it comes to picking up blitzes, when it's coming to picking up stunts or passing off stunts, is that they're not seeing it through the same lens, right? They're not seeing it through the same set of eyes. And, and as a result, there's just missed blocks left and right because one guy sees the blitz coming, the other guy doesn't. One guy sees a stunt coming, the other guy doesn't. And it's just not being picked up the proper way.
1: Yeah, and that's weird to me because it's, you know, it's not like it's a new unit. Right. It's for the same five, primarily from last year. And Michael Owen, who did change positions. But at what point does that go back to Mac? At what point does that go to the guy dictating coverage or or dictating the blocking scheme? Right. So I agree with you in that, you know, that it looks like that. But there's really no reason that it should look like that.
2: Right. So I I think the main thing that I would say some of the blitzes, I guess you can put. In Max' category, right? I wouldn't say that it's all anybody. Yeah. And right? again,
1: that's but, what you expect with the rookie quarterback. This is what we talked about all summer, like the growing pains. He's, and Josh McDaniels yeah. talked about this today. He's just, he's seeing things he's never seen before. That's the reality of it.
2: Yeah. So maybe that, that's part of it with the blitzes with a lot of the stunts though. I think it's post snap communication and post snap chemistry with the offensive linemen. And I, I wouldn't necessarily put that on Mac. It's not Mac's job to block a stunt. Right or or set the protection to block a stunt. Like those things are post snap reactions to scheme that the offensive line has to get down. And part of me wants to put it on continuity, but because Isaiah Wynn and Michael Onwenu are playing next to each other for the first time, Shaq Mason's got a revolving door at right tackle next to him. Right, so there's just a lot of moving in new parts. So the question is, is is this going to improve over the course of time? And I'm optimistic that it's going to get better because it 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 really isn't as bad. It, a lot of people I think think this is the worst offensive line in the league. Trust me, it's not. Right? If you go and you watch some of these other teams, they have way worse offensive line play than the it's, Patriots do.
1: I think it's just about where they're playing versus expectations.
2: Exactly. That's the biggest problem. Is right now they are a 15 through 20 offensive line in the top in the 32 ranking. Right when they need to be a top five offensive line and should be a top five offensive line. So the question really is, uh do you think it's fixable? Is it as simple as Trent Brown comes back and everything's safe?
1: I mean, I don't think that's the whole thing. I think that's a big part of it. You know, if there's a breakdown in one spot, it makes everybody look worse because you're trying to compensate. So like, I, I mean, I, I kind of went on this rant at the top of the show. I think Trent Brown coming back is a big part of it. And then I think, if Isaiah Wynn still struggles, because to me, the majority of the issue is at tackle. If Isaiah Wynn still struggles, you kick Michael Nguyen to the right side, move Trent Brown to the left side, and then you put Ted Karras in a guard and you put Isaiah Wynn on the bench. So it, again, the pieces are there. Will they go to him? I don't know. But yeah, I think, and you know, Trent Brown's not back till he's back. He's hurt. But I think it's relatively fixable.
2: Yeah, I think it's relatively fixable as well. And, and that's why I'm a little bit... Uh, I, I'm more optimistic about that piece of things and some of the other things that maybe might take some more time to come together. Hang on, I'm seeing my
1: mic is being screwed up. I'm going to get back real quick. Okay,
2: yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get Alex to pop back in here and, and try to fix his mic here in a second. Uh, but as I was saying with the offensive line, I think what we're seeing is – communication and chemistry and more mental breakdowns than anything to do with physical lack of ability to block people. So in some ways, I, I think that that's a good thing, and the Patriots will be able to fix some of those things. Hopefully Alex just fixed his mic. How's that? Is that better? Much better. There we okay, go. Cool. All right. Now you sound normal. Um, Before we move on to the defense, red zone offense continues to be something that keeps coming up. The one thing I want to say uh, about the handoffs to Brandon Bolden, because I've gotten this question a ton about how many of those plays did Mac Jones check into? And I don't want to get too caught up in guessing when Mac Jones is changing the play. Because in all honesty, he could be alerting any number of things, right? When he taps his helmet and he makes a call at the line of scrimmage and he starts to talk pre-snap, like there's just so many variables that he could be saying and doing and and, and things that he could be checking or alerting. So I I don't want to sit here and say that I know for a fact that he changed this play and that play and this play and that play. The point is, is that he owned up to changing some of them. Right. I mean, when I asked him about right. it, he owned up to changing some of them. So some of those Brennan Bolden runs are on Mac Jones. But overall, you have to put the whole lack of an ability to close in the red zone on
1: everybody, including, I think, a lot uh, the offensive coordinator. So I'm just going to give you some stats here. And because I wrote about the red zone struggles this morning, 98.5, the sports sub dot com. I wanted to look at why they're struggling, because I, I've seen people say, oh, the you know, uh, with Cam Newton, they were, they were so good on the goal line and now they don't have them. That's, that's not quite the issue. And this, this isn't to bash cam. I'm just saying, let's put some yeah. context to things here. So on, and, and I call this situational offense. So it's a combination of red zone and third down offense is where they're struggling on third downs this year. Total overall Patriots are 21 of 47. That's 40, 45%. That's eighth in the league. And their average go-to distance on third downs, overall, 6.7 yards, which is 13th. So big picture, right, looking at it from 10,000 feet, they're actually overperforming on third down. But let's dig a little deeper here. On third downs, and I apologize, not looking at the camera. I'm reading this to make sure I get it right. Uh, on third downs from inside field goal range, and for the sake of this argument, and Evan, if you want to push back on this, feel free. But I'm calling field goal range anything inside the 32-yard line. That's a 49-yard field goal. So I I think that's a fair fair mark to use here. In field goal range on third downs, the Patriots' percentage drops nearly 10 points to 35%. They are 6 of 17 with one of those picked up by a penalty. That is the 18th best rate in the league. So they go from 8th in the league on third down overall to 18th on third downs inside field goal range. And... It's not like they have a long way to go. Their average yards to go on third downs inside field goal range is 5.7 yards. That's actually in the top half of the league. But they're averaging per play 1.5 yards per play. That's 29th in the NFL. Of the 17 third downs they've run in field goal range, six of them have gone for no gain, and three of them have lost yards. So about half the time they're in third down in field goal range, They're either not moving the ball, they're moving backwards. When they get in the red zone, they are one of six on third down. The bubble screen to Nelson Aguilar this week was the first red zone third down they've had all year. That one of six is 28th in the league. They have an average distance to go of seven, which is 27th in the league. And on those six plays, again, they've picked up one third down. They've lost yards twice. Now here's the thing you want. So, so that all sounds pretty bad, right? I don't know if you have a reaction here before I give the last point. No, go ahead. So here's the the upside to it. When they get inside the 10, they've run just six plays inside the 10, which is the fewest. It's tied for the fewest in football through three games. But when they do get inside the 10, they've had three drives, get inside the 10, two of them were touchdowns. And then one of them was the throwaway drive at the end of the game against the Jets. Yeah. So when they do get inside the 10, they're having success. They actually are, but it's getting there. It's, it's, it's getting from the high red zone down to the goal line, down to goal-to-go situations that they're struggling. In the high red zone, from the 25 to the 10-yard line, this is the last number, Evan, because I know I'm throwing 10 numbers out here.
2: Yeah, I'm trying to follow it. We need a whiteboard. We'll, we'll call it Barth Metrics.
1: From yeah. the 25, so between the 25-yard line, and the 10-yard line. Here's the overall damning statistic: from the uh, or from the 25 to the 10, the Patriots are averaging three yards per play. That's 30th in the NFL. Yeah, they are. Once they cross midfield, they're they're actually getting the ball down the field relatively well early in drives. It's once they get the ball into field goal range that the offense has stalled out. They're not the goal line offense is non-existent because they haven't had a chance to do it again. The fewest plays in the league run inside the 10-yard line. So it's that intermediate, it's that high red zone that they're struggling with. And the most painful part of all of this, Evan, is that the tight ends are supposed to be, that's that's the area on the field where tight ends really thrive. Yeah.
2: and Anywhere really inside the 20. I mean, even if you're on the so, goal line.
1: Right. But in that high red zone, Jonu Smith has four catches for 28 yards. Hunter Henry's been targeted just once, and it was in yeah. So we'll call – I know I just kind of went on a rant there. We'll call this my equivalent of your, you know, play breakdown. But that's where the issues are. That's where the issues start, and that's where the drives end. Between the 32 and the 10-yard line, that's where they keep stalling out. And that's a problem because that's, that's where you make your money. That's what separates a good offense from a get great offense. A good offense can get the ball down the field into, into field goal range, which the Patriots are doing. A great offense, more often than not, gets from field goal range into the end zone. That's what the Patriots are struggling with more than any other team in football right now.
2: Right. And I think the frustrating part is twofold. One last year at Alabama, Mac Jones, a fantastic high red zone passer, right? And I can,
1: I can share these numbers by the way, but it's going to be gibberish to me.
2: Just lit the world on fire from like that 15 to 20 yard range in the high red zone, throwing dimes down the field to guys. Right. And oh, here is Alex's work. He's showing his That's work. Can I can scratch, it.
1: but it's that uh, those are the numbers if, I'm talking about.
2: Yeah, if you guys can see that. Uh, So I don't know if they can see it, Alex. I'm going to pull All it right, off. It, it, it's a lot of uh, numbers. But, anyways, that is where Mac has thrived in his college career is operating from that because. I'm not trying to go on some some rant about Mac Jones's arm strength but he hasn't always had the the strongest of arms right so this is not a guy that's throwing 65 70 yard bombs but what he was doing is they would take shots down the field in 25 to 30 yard increments right and, and get in that high red zone area and then throw those footballs down the field the other thing that i think is really important and i had uh, my friend at, at pff Louie benjamin is a great follow on twitter as well for patriots fan uh, i had him pull these stats for me and i asked josh mcdaniels about this today and he told me that i was looking too much into this and, and that it really wasn't anything that deep but since uh, the start of the 2020 season alex the patriots currently rank here, I got to zoom this in a little bit more. There we go. The Patriots currently rank 16th in pre-snap motion usage, right? So they're pre-snap motioning on 47.7% of their play- plays, roughly half of their plays since the start of 2020. In the last year with Tom Brady, ready for this number? Because it's, it's quite stark. 65% of the plays, third most in the NFL. So they went from one of the teams that used motion the most frequently to one of the more stagnant offenses pretty much overnight when Tom Brady left. And I asked McDaniels about this. Is this a chemistry thing? Is it a continuity thing? What is the reason behind this? And the reason why I was really honed in on this particular piece of of fact is down in the red area and closer to the goal line, You can no longer stretch the field vertically, right? There's no vertical stretch. So you have to horizontally stretch out the defense. And if you're going to horizontally stretch out the defense, then bringing guys in motion, getting guys started, and making those guys run sideline to sideline is a really, really good way to get that done. So the lack of motion and the lack of horizontal stretching by the Patriots, that is, I think, what is bottling them down, as well as handing the ball off to Brandon Bolden, which they should fire into the sun. But in just a schematic big-picture standpoint, the lack of motion and the lack of movement that they're getting priests now. Cause when you have such a condensed area, you have to do you have to find ways to get leverage for your playmakers, right? You have to find ways to get leverage. And right now they are not doing that often enough. And I watched that game on Sunday night football between the Packers and the 49ers. And I watched the game the week before with the Chiefs and the Ravens. And I was like, this is two different leagues. Right, like this is two different leaves right. of our offensive scheme because Kyle Shanahan and, and Matt LaFleur are out there motioning guys, using motion to build blocking, right, to to add on blockers and motioning guys to get them the football. That boomerang motion on the goal line that they threw that touchdown to to uh, Devonte Adams, where he fakes right. like he's going to come around. Oh, that was the awesome! the end around, and then he sprints back out the same direction that he came from. That is a Steve Sarkeesian Alabama staple. They do it all the time, the Crimson Tide. And we haven't seen the Patriots do any of those types of things. So you have, to, you have to get more creative down there. And it's not just the motion. It's also being able to use the tight ends, right? Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith, they need to wake those guys up in the red zone because when you have two tight ends that are skilled like Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith, there is absolutely zero excuses, to be bad in the red zone. They have two guys that are perfect red zone weapons and tight ends that obviously always thrive down by the goal line. And there's zero excuse whatsoever to not get those guys integrated
1: and get the ball in the end zone when they're getting those opportunities. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't, I know you said you kind of wanted to jump to defense. I do have one more thing on the offense. I want to talk yeah. about uh, James White. Unless, yeah. I don't know if you want to do this later in the show.
2: No, go ahead, uh, because this is – I wanted to talk about James White and also Ramondre Stevenson and, and the trickle-down So it's all
1: – yeah, but, but here, here's the overarching thing. I think James White's potential absence is not being talked about enough because not only – first of all, James White was their leading receiver going into that game. Yeah. 12 catches through two games. But – and this goes – this ties into to what we talked about with the offensive line. James White's their best pass-blocking running back. Yeah, And they need that right now. And for them to operate the offense, they want to operate it. They need running backs. Oh, I, I have wide. an idea about this, but go ahead. And if you go back to last year, yeah. they've now lost their three best pass-blocking running backs, in my opinion. And maybe you see it differently. You watch these things differently than I do. I think we'd be in agreement that James White and Rex Burkhead were one and two last year, hands down.
2: Yeah. And um, I would say Sony Michelle was really good I, at so it I would also
1: say I would have... Sony Michelle's it's it's James White one and two, and then there's a bit of a gap before Sony, but Sony was yeah. their third best pass blocking back. So they this is a problem now. This is a problem, and there's there's a really interesting discussion coming with Ramondre Stevenson. And I think right. Stevenson or no, they should sign somebody. And I put out a list of free agents today on ninety eight five But if you remember, one of the things we were talking about after the draft was the praise Stevenson had gotten as a blocker. Somebody described him at the senior bowl as a left tackle playing running back. Yeah. We didn't see that in week one. That doesn't mean he can never do it again, but you know, it's, it, you know, it's put up or shut up. I know that he had that yeah. bad first game and they probably thought they were going to redshirt him. I, even if they signed somebody this week or even if, you know, they activate Malcolm Perry and put him in that James white role, which maybe I, I think that there's probably a conversation to be had there, but we're going to really find out what they think about, Ramondre Stevenson, based on if he's active or not this week.
2: So I agree with everything you said about Ramondre Stevenson, and, and quickly I'll, I'll just add this to that. I don't think the Patriots have the luxury, and I know they're going to disagree with me, and Belichick would scoff at this, but I don't think the Patriots have the luxury to keep Ramondre Stevenson as a healthy scratch. I agree with you. I think he's too talented. They lost that
1: luxury. They lost that luxury when they traded Sony Michelle,
2: and when James White gets hurt. They need playmakers out of the backfield, and I think he's they two need players in. they need bodies for yeah.
1: playmakers, they need bodies,
2: yeah. And I think he's too talented with the ball in his hands to keep him down forever, right? I just think he's too good with it, and he's another guy that could potentially create some explosive plays for you. And I think it's it's too far gone at this point to not give him a shot again. And if you're not going to give J.J. Taylor a shot, if James White goes down and Brandon Bolden is the guy you're elevating to the pass-catching back role instead of J.J. Taylor, then what are we doing? But, right? again,
1: like what is – that pass blocking element is so important in that role. And are you going to put five, six JJ Taylor out there to block Shaq Barrett? Like, that's, okay. how's that going to work?
2: Okay. So you're ready. You're ready for my, how, how
1: creative do we think Josh McDaniels is? Cause right I now. Know where you're, are you right talking about Jacob Johnson in the backfield or Johnny Smith in the backfield?
2: I'm talking about who in the backfield. Okay. Because yeah,
1: They did it once last week, one play, they did it.
2: So to me, and the 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 challenge is obviously that John is going to need a crash course in blitz pickup from a running back perspective, right? Which is, right. that's hard, especially against a team like Tampa. That is extremely difficult to come in first game and throw him out there and have him pick up blitzes from the backfield. But first and foremost, Jakob Johnson, they tried to put him in that role some last week, and he did not do particularly well picking up blitzes in a – In blitz protection, he was as big of a problem as anybody else in blitz pickup. I think PFF gave him like a 2.3 grade in pass protection or something crazy like that. So on top of the fact that Johnny Smith has experience playing out of the backfield, in his past stops and a little bit so far with the Patriots in camp and and a couple of times in games, he is definitely a sturdier option in terms of taking on blitzing linebackers and DBs to be able to pass protect. And we know he's a good run blocker and maybe that can unlock him a little bit in terms of just scheme versatility as well. Throwing him swing passes, screens, little end arounds, get, you know, handoffs, tosses, things like that, right? Like other ways to get Johnny Smith, the ball in space, maybe can present themselves out of the backfield. So in my mind, I, I don't know. I think that that's not a terrible idea. I don't think it's a terrible idea. Well, to they should have been, the been doing it from the beginning.
1: They should have been doing it from the beginning because it just makes them more creative in the passing game.
2: Yeah, I I, I agree. But uh, I, I think we can, we can maybe hope that that is going to come along. And I, I said – in a, in a couple of different places that the Patriots 11 personnel package with the Kendrick Bourne, Jacoby Myers and Nelson Aguilar on the field together is far more productive right now than 12 personnel is for them. And if you're not going to have James white now moving forward, I want to, I want to see uh, the, what is it? Uh, I guess. Oh, two personnel, right? No running backs.
1: Yeah. They did that once last week.
2: So give me, give me the three receivers with Hunter Henry and John U. Smith. And zero backs and put Janu in the backfield. I-, I think that that's really the answer in passing situations for this team because Brandon Bolden's a liability. JJ Taylor and Ramondre Stevenson they obviously don't feel they're ready. So what's what are we what are we doing? Right, give me the O two personnel and give me Janu Smith as a H back pass protector slash running routes out of the
1: backfield. Thoughts. Again, I I said the day they signed him that they should be using Jonu Smith out of the backfield to begin with. This certainly adds another interesting angle to it, right, in that you need this blocker. But, yeah, yeah, no, it it absolutely needs to be on the table.
2: Okay, all right, let's talk about the defense. It's hard to get so much on the defense because I think that on the whole they played a really – I wouldn't call it – They allowed
1: 14 points.
2: They played a good game. It's not a really good game. By the way,
1: real quick here, the Patriots had four – running backs in for free agent workouts today. That makes sense. Uh well Armstead, Arvis Pierce, Dontrell Hilliard, ito Smith. Edo Smith plays it. Edo Smith
2: solid. Years. Yeah, Edo Smith is solid. That, that's a name we know. Yeah. All right. Defensively, the the positives here on the defensive side of the ball first, and then I want to get into some of the things I didn't like. But the positives are As much as we're talking about the offensive weapons having some problems integrating themselves, Matt Judon and Jalen Smith have not really had it – or Jalen Mills, excuse me, have not had the same problems. Say what you will about the one catch Jalen Mills gave up on the third and seven. We're going to talk about that play in a second. But he's only given up four catches for 32 yards into his coverage on 11 targets through three games, Alex. That's pretty solid, right? I mean, he's he's got some issues. He's definitely more Logan Ryan than he is shut down corner, right? He's keeping everything in front right. of him and basically just making the tackle in a lot of situations. But in general, a pretty clean transition. And Judon's a monster, three sacks in this game. So as much as the offensive pieces are still coming together, it feels like the defensive additions have stepped right in and filled some pretty good roles already.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it, it's certainly feeling that way again like Matt Judon's been great I I know you have your takes on on Devon Godshaw I think Sunday yeah. was probably his best game to this point um again they allowed 14 points right I know it was 28 on the scoreboard but there's a pick six and then a near pick six and whatever it was like seven yards I'm not going to fault the defense for giving up seven yards right when they when they have to start their back up against the wall like that so the situational stuff is more concerning to me you know the the late the late game drives they've given up but they're 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 fifth in the league in both yards and points. Yeah. So it, the points one I I buy. The yards one actually kind of caught me off guard just because it's felt Ben don't break, but a Ben don't break defense isn't fifth in the league in yards allowed. Yeah. Typically.
2: No, they're and I I'm pulling it up right now, but they're they were third in DVOA defensively going into this week. And I, I doubt that what they gave up this past week is really going to hurt their Right, DVOA. If anything, that um, ranking's going up. So they're, uh, so they're, they, it did go down a little bit. Um, they're now eight, but they're still a top 10 defense in DVOA. I mean, that, there they been a good, granted, the competition has not been great. Like Tua, Zach Wilson and Jameis are not exactly, uh, Brady, Rogers and Mahomes, right? But it, they, they've been very, very good on that side of the ball, like top 10 defense production wise. Now, the question that I wanted to pose here, um, and I do want to talk about Jamie Collins. I want to do that as a separate separate aside here in a second yeah. as well. But how how much stock – and I think it is important because the the hallmark to me of a great defense, Alex, is when your team comes back within one score, 28 to 13, you get that stop, right? And you give the ball back. The drive in the fourth quarter really bugged me because that drive just – If this team is going to win football games and turn this thing around, that drive cannot happen until this offense wakes up a little bit. And it was the same thing in week one after Damian Harris's fumble at the end of the game against Miami. The defense had a chance to get off the field and get the ball back to Mac Jones and hang the field goal up there to win the game, right? I mean, they had a chance to turn that back around as well. So they've had two chances now in the fourth quarter of games to get the ball back to the offense to try to mount the comeback. And they've failed both times. And ultimately it's great that the defense stopped them for three and a half quarters for the most part. But when push comes to shove and you absolutely need a stop, those are the best defenses, right? Are the ones that rise right. to those types of occasions.
1: And it feels like you're getting close. Like I, 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 and I know it's a play that really kind of got under your skin, but that third and seven. Oh
2: God, don't eat yet. <laughs> Like, they've gotten close.
1: They've gotten themselves in uh, position. It just feels like it's it, They're one. It, you know, it's not like, okay, they were good all game, and then they got beat like a drum on the final drive. It's like one play. One play keeps – same thing against Miami. They, they had Miami in a third and long, too. I forget the exact scenario. Yeah, But they had Miami on a third and long late in that game, and I think that one might have been a penalty. But it's been really two, two plays that's cost them.
2: Yeah. And so on that third down, I, I gotta keep talking about it because it just, it just drives me. I know it's not
1: your favorite play.
2: So it's third and seven for the game, right? It's basically third and seven for the game. If the Saints pick that up. Yes, you could technically get the stop on the next set of downs, but the amount of clock that they're going to eat and all that kind of stuff is really going to make it difficult for the offense. So it's essentially third in the game there, especially when you start to factor in field position as well, because if you get the stop there and you punt it back over, you might actually get plus territory for Mac Jones, right? You're not you're going to be on the other side of the 50, but maybe you're at the 35 or the 40 instead of starting way back near your own end zone. So third and seven, not only do they rush, Four. They have Chase Winovich chip the tight end on the way out of the of his into his route. So it's really like rushing. It's a delayed rush, right? It's really three and a half, and then it becomes four. So they rush four. They have Jalen Mills because they're the Saints use a bunch alignment. So they use to cover the bunch alignment. Jalen Mills is way back, right? I mean, he is he is twelve, ten to twelve yards off the line of scrimmage, and he gets beat at the top of the route. And the other thing that you look out at with that play, not to get too much picky, uh, nitpicky on Jalen Mills, he gets into onto his, his horse and he starts retreating with the route. Like, who cares if you give up the 80 yard touchdown there, right? Like, the point is, is that you can't give up the seven yards, right? You know, it, it really doesn't, if you get beat over the top there, then and Jameis throws a bomb and they connect with it on to Deontay Harris over the top. Then I almost care less about that than giving up the twelve yard completion that they gave up, right? Cause you have to play the situation. And so he gets on his horse, he's retreating, and it's just so easy to break that route off along the sideline and catch the football. There's absolutely no pressure on Jameis Winston whatsoever. He's cleaning the pocket the entire way. And that, to me, just showed a lack of urgency, right? Like, And I get it. I asked Belichick about it, and he actually gave me a pretty straight-up answer. I, I was surprised. And he said, Early on in the game, we tried blitzing Jameis Winston and they had some protection calls, meaning they were leaving the tight ends and the backs into block to pick up those those extra rushers. And they were buying Jameis time with max protect and he was beating them down the field on that. So Jameis actually went six of seven on against the blitz. So I can understand in a lot of ways why they didn't want to do that right they didn't want to come right. after it but just in that situation like throw out all the things that happened earlier on in the game and don't play so soft everywhere they played a soft pass rush they played soft coverage on the outside all of it was just soft and that just really bugs me and, the, and then the drive itself was really soft because they got run down their throat the rest of the drive right to to punch the ball into the end zone so the whole thing just was not rising up to the occasion. So as much as this defense has performed really well, as much as it's great to see Matt Judon, who I think is a big time game changer for them on that side of the football, live up to the free agent contract. It is really mind numbing that that drive happened and unfolded the way that it unfolded.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I just keep going back to, and and like you said, Bill gave a good explanation of why they made the call, but it's like, yeah, you know, it's not like they got dragged down the field. It was one play.
2: Right. Okay. Uh, let's talk Jamie Collins. So the news here today is that the Lions, who have been looking for a trade partner for Jamie Collins, have officially released the former Patriots running back. He is now linebacker. a... Linebacker. Uh, I say running back? My gosh. Yeah. Linebacker. It's been a long day.
1: It's only uh, Tuesday.
2: Li- <laughs> right. Uh, linebacker. Patriots linebacker Jamie Collins released by the Detroit Lions and now is a free agent free to sign with any team that he wants how about his former team with Bill Belichick and Matty P uh who is up in the in the press box in the coaches booth during games and also working pretty hands-on with the team in general and I think we see some of that uh in the game plan quite frankly with the defense side of the football but Jamie Collins uh back to the Patriots do you like it Alex
1: I do, and, and this isn't a report, but I think maybe you, if we want to read between the lines here from Field Yates, this was after it was reported that Collins had been released. Uh, quote, now that he has been released, Jamie Collins can sign with another team immediately. Collins is making a fully guaranteed $8.8 million total from Detroit this year. Uh, he gives the details. Collins can now, here's here's the important part. Okay. Collins can now prioritize fit and familiarity when looking for a new home. There we go. Well, I mean, that's the Patriots. Where else is where else is their fit and familiarity? Maybe Miami? Right. So I was Brian trying to remember he, like he's not going back to Cleveland.
2: Right. So I was trying to remember Collins was not on the team in 2018 when Brian Flores was the defensive play caller. But I'm sure they overlapped when maybe when Brian Flores is the linebackers coach with the Patriots at some point, right? Like they did, yeah. They, well, they ha-
1: so Flores since two thousand eight.
2: Right, so it goes back a little ways, though, right, since the last time that Jamie Collins played for Brian Flores, right? So I I think that the connection here has got to be with the Patriots, and I mentioned it when we uh, talked about it off the top of the show when this news officially broke. The Patriots pulled Dante Hightower for whatever reason, and nobody will answer it. They pulled Dante Hightower off the field and put Jelani Tavai on the field towards the end of that game against New Orleans. Jawan Bentley then left the game early due to an injury. And I would also throw in there that Kyle Van Noy has not exactly been great in his return to the Patriots. So for all those reasons, depth reasons, productive reasons, you know, production reasons, uh, Jamie Collins seems like a great option here for the Patriots to bring him back. And I'm all for this. And I'm not a Jamie Collins guy. I've actually been uh, somebody that's reluctant. About the Jamie Collins experience. I think at times he gets too caught up in chasing the football, runs himself out of the position, doesn't necessarily execute and not a do your do- job type of player, right? All the time. But with the depth issues that they have with Dante Hightower and Kyle Van Noy looking the way that they have looked so far this season, and Van Noy, I don't know what it is, Hightower, maybe you can call it rust, but Maybe he is also just getting long in the tooth. I, I think that you have to look at this as a really great opportunity to add another playmaker to the defense.
1: Yeah. You yeah, know, he's the exact kind of player they need. I agree with you again, especially if Hightower is going to be limited and you know, they took Matt Judon off the field at points on that last drive too. He was on the field for that seven, right. but he came off right after it. If the plan is to rotate a linebacker and I know they didn't have Josh Uche, who kind of impacts his picture, but if the yeah. plan is to rotate a linebacker, then, then, Jamie Collins, in terms of what he is at this point in his career, and what the Patriots system is, he is the ideal rotational linebacker for the Patriots right now. Ideal. Mm -hmm. They should, I'm not even going to say they should make this call. The call should have already been made. When when was this news announced? We did what, about 20 minutes? Between when it was announced and now the call should have been placed already.
2: So I think there was already contact on, in with Jamie Collins' yeah. camp. Is this but a
1: guess or is this uh,
2: it's a, a little it, something, it, something?
1: It's a little something something. All right. So oh, okay. Uh, All right. So right.
2: I think that there was already some communication with the Lions about what they were going to do with Jamie Collins and the Patriots were never going to trade for that contract. Right. I mean, it was that simple, but as the Patriots often do, they picked up the phone to have some due diligence, right. To have some familiarity with the situation. And I was told that the door is definitely still open from the new England side. Right. I, I don't know if Jamie Collins's camp is hundred percent in on it, but the Patriots are, on board with Jamie Collin- a Jamie Collins reunion from what I'm being told. And I think that this is definitely could happen now. Jamie Collins have some options potentially in terms of other teams that might be interested in him. I'm sure that they're, contending a little bit with Miami as well but from what I've been told the Patriots are open to a reunion with Jamie Collins it makes all the sense in the world for Jamie Collins to be open to a reunion with the Patriots because he plays his best ball in New England right I mean he went to Cleveland and he was not very good he's been in Detroit and he's been not very good he plays his best football with Bill Belichick and the Patriots because they know how to use him perfectly so Jamie Collins back to New England to play some inside linebacker, maybe spell Dante Hightower into more of a situational role, maybe bail out some of those things. And uh, with Juwan Bentley as well, uh, getting injured at the end of that game, both Alex and
1: I are fully on board with this one, I think. So, and and here's what I would say where, you know, Collins probably wants to go chase another big contract and would like to play for a contender, but it's, you know, Is he going to win a Super Bowl in New England? No, probably not. But if he comes to New England, like you said, he plays his best football in New England. Right. Then this is where he comes back here, maximizes value again. It's the best chance for him to go out and get that that money contract from a good team. So, again, it it all goes back to that he plays in New England unlike he plays anywhere else. This is where he needs to come to maximize his value.
2: Yeah, and... I just think it makes all the sense in the world. Again, just going over the linebacker depth and everything like that. But Jamie Collins officially released by the Detroit Lions. That's the report out there right now. I do think the door is still open for a reunion to the Patriots, and we'll continue
1: to monitor that situation moving forward. Alex, I also want to. It's. Wanna... it's a, I mean, look, look. I just, I just think it's a ton of fun. I think the other thing is like Jamie Collins. Just if I can geek out for a second. Yes. I mean, there's few Patriots in Dynasty 2.0 that were more fun to watch on the field than Jamie Collins. The dude, when he's in the zone, he's electric. Yeah. He is, he changes game. He's a game changer. He's a legitimate, by the definition, game changer.
2: And an athletic guy too, right? You know, somebody that could yeah. add some athleticism, some speed to that oh, yeah, second and, level and, of defense And too. maybe
1: like help them. I saw somebody before brought up the Alvin Kamara touchdown, and that was maybe more scheme than assignment. but right. You know, when you have to play those kind of backs, a guy who can cover in those situations, in addition to rush the passer.
2: Absolutely. All right. Let's just briefly, we have about six minutes here, Alex. Uh, we're going to do an entire show on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Thursday or, or probably Friday morning, right? Uh, I keep saying Thursday, probably Friday morning on the preview show for the Bucks. But First, the next uh, six minutes before we round out this hour, what do you want to talk about with Tampa Bay? You want to talk about the X's and O's? Do we want to do that, or do we want to take questions? I, I think we got to hit on the Bucks. It, it's, a, okay. it's such a big week. I think we got to hit on the Bucks. Uh, w- what's your feeling going into this week? It, just
1: wherever you want to take it, I, I'm I'm down to go there. So here's what I'll say because I I was on the hub on Saturday. I was on with 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 Jim Murray and Chris Gasper, and then I was on with Christian Arcan. And I kind of told Humble them. I was like, straight up. I what? Humble brag. Humble brag. I told them straight up. I said, look, I'm going to be honest. Like, I know you guys are doing like the who said what and whose fault is it talk, but like, I really haven't done that. Yeah. Like, I kind of want to stick to X and O's, and they're kind of busting my balls a little bit. Like, oh, you know, then this isn't the week for you. But right, if you're there's a way to marry the two concepts. Yeah. And if you're somebody who doesn't want to deal with the drama of it, and uh, here's how you appreciate this matchup, and here's how I if we're going to do Brady Bill and really play it up as Brady versus Bill, here's how I look at it. This is the greatest quarterback the game has ever seen versus the best defensive mind of all time. Yeah. And it's probably the only time we're ever going to see it. Yeah. And if you can't appreciate the game through that lens, then you're not really a football fan.
2: Yeah. I I just – You know me, I I can... The Hollywood drama crap is is not for me either, right? I, I mean, we can take that or leave that. But the one thing that I really think is the theater of this to me is I actually... Look, they don't have Stephon Gilmore, which hurts, but I actually think the Patriots have enough defensively in terms of the talent on that side of the football for Bill to actually build out a decent game plan against Tom Brady and for the players to actually go out there and and execute it at a pretty high level, right? They they have a lot of issues on the offensive side of the football, and that probably is going to end up being what loses them this game is they don't have the firepower to hang with the Bucks' offense and put up enough points, but defensively, I think that they can give them some problems because they have the talent and they have enough players on that side of the ball to be able to hang out, hang with the Bucks. So the question then really is, what's the game plan, right? And I've kicked a lot of things back and forth in my head, and I haven't done my my analytics deep dive into this yet of whether or not this is backed up by science or anything like that. But just based off of the eye test that I see, this is a deep Vertical passing attack, right by the Bucks. This is not Tom Brady, Dink and Dunk, 2011 Patriots, right? They're trying to push the ball down the field. So, from what I have actually seen, I think that there's a way. Because if you get too caught up in my mind, if you're Bill Belichick, with trying to defend Tom Brady specifically and confuse Brady or rattle Brady or pressure, I, I don't. I think that's a losing proposition. It's Not going to happen. Yeah. Right. So I'm focused on how do we exploit the other 10 guys that are on the field for Tampa Bay, right? How do we take away Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and Rob Gronkowski and make Tom Brady beat us throwing And Scotty Miller's injured. So I don't even know who the, is it Uh, Tyler Johnson, uh, Leonard Fournette or well, Gio put
1: Antonio Brown in the slot.
2: So I don't know about Antonio Brown's status, right? Because he's, he had the COVID. That's right. He's
1: got the COVID. You're right. Right.
2: So we'll see what happens with that. But ultimately what I'm getting at is how do we get Tom Brady to beat us throwing to his secondary options. And I, I, the other thing I would say too is shutting down Bruce Arians scheme is more important to me than trying to get to Brady. Right. So uh, I think that that's where you have to start. You have to shut down the weapons in the scheme and not try to get too focused and caught up in shutting down Tom Brady because I think he'll kick, he'll kick your butt if you try to go out there and, oh, we're going to rattle Brady and we're going to pressure Brady. I think he's going to kick your ass
1: doing that. So I'll give you uh, a take on the defensive side of the ball too, and this might yeah. surprise some people. We've talked a ton this week about the tight ends, naturally, because Johnny Smith struggled. Hunter Henry really hasn't done much. If the Patriots want to make this a game, and we talked about the high red zone, they got to be better in the high red zone. The way to that is through the tight ends. Yeah. Well, here's some interesting numbers for you, Evan. Tampa Bay is second in the league in catches allowed by tight ends and 10th in the league in yards allowed to oppose the tight end. They have, through three games, they have struggled to cover tight ends. If there was a week to get this thing going with Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry, this actually might be it. This might be the week that you you put in the game plan. You just write tight ends in big letters on the whiteboard and that's the game plan. Like yeah. I and I know it's not that simple, but you get my point like this is probably the way to go this week.
2: Yeah. So to me You got to get home with four against Brady. You got to figure out a way to scheme it up. And I know I just went on a rant about rushing four on that play against Jameis, but Brady, you don't want to blitz Brady, right? It just, you just don't want to do it. So you have to get home with four in my mind against Brady. Maybe you can sprinkle in some five man pressure, but I would go with four you got to do some exotic stuff up front, though. It can't just be straight four guys rushing, right? You got to stunt them. You got to pick them. You got to run some games. You got to figure out some ways to get the, the scheme pressures going and
1: things like that.
2: The, on the back end, I'd actually play some zone coverage. I'd actually play cover four against Brady. Uh,
1: we saw zone against Brady. How many times did the Steelers? We do saw that? zone. You know the, what we,
2: we saw zone against the old Brady. But you I don't think, think we saw zone against the
1: Patriots, Brady? Brady knows exactly what they're thinking. You don't think he sees this coming and will just, you know, change it to a no. quick strike offense? They'll go back to that game no. plan. He'll go back to the game plan he used against the Chargers in 2019 in the playoffs.
2: No, I think we have. I think if you play man to man coverage against Tom Brady and you try to man up, Mike uh, Mike Evans, Gronk, uh, Chris Godwin, potentially Antonio Brown, I don't think you got the corners to do it. I just I, I don't think you have the corners to do without Stefan Gilmore. So I wouldn't play straight spot drop cover four. I, I'd play probably cover seven and try to bracket some of those guys. But the main point that I'm getting at is you got to take away the big plays. And if he beats you, go in death by a thousand paper cuts, then he beats you. Right? Uh, whatever. So
1: if That's it, I, what's going to happen.
2: I, then fine. But it, as long as you do that, you keep yourself in the game. Right, if if you're giving up sixty yard bombs left and right because you're trying to blitz and play man coverage on the outside with Jalen Mills on Antonio Brown, then you're going to lose the game a lot faster, right? Yeah. So uh, yeah, you're right. So I, I would I would play into that a little bit. Offensively, they don't have a very good secondary. Their their defensive backs are definitely vulnerable. I think you can actually attack them in the secondary, but you got to be able to block it up, right? And that's going to be the biggest test of all, maybe that they faced all year. Because Todd Bowles knows how to bring it, right? And he's going to bring it from everywhere. It's going to be disguised pressure. It's going to be pressure from different angles. It's going to be pressure from different levels of the defense. It's going to be all over the place. So to me, yes, the secondary is vulnerable, Yes, you can feast on some of those matchups. I actually think if they can protect it, that Nelson Aguilar might have some opportunities down the field as well. Cause they've given a, a ton of big plays in the, in the uh, secondary this year for the Bucks, but you're going to have to protect Mac. And I just don't know if they're going to be able to do that long enough and often enough to be able to uh, put up points with uh, Tampa Bay, but if they can again,
1: I like the tight ends this week.
2: I like the tight ends too. I, I like throwing the ball in general because you're not going to run it. No. on uh Vita Vea and no. and Sue, right? You're not going to try to run the ball against this team. So I think you definitely have to throw it. And I think you have to throw it as much as possible. But it's definitely going to be a tough matchup for the Patriots. And the drama is going to be what the drama is. The one last thing, and I, I was going to bring this up on Thursday or in the preview show, but I might as well hit on it really quick here. Do you think that Brady has any sort of butterflies or nerves coming into this game at all? Like, do you think that that – could be a factor early. I'm not saying he, eventually he's going to come out of it and he's going to be Tom Brady, but do you think that it might, the emotions could potentially get the best of him a little
1: bit early on in this game? No. If it was last year, maybe. But yeah. No, he's Tom. Come on. This is Tom Brady. It's Tom Brady. No. Steady hand, man. No, no. way. No. Sometimes
2: no. in the Super Bowl, he's a little rattled early the greatest,
1: on. The greatest quarterback, I don't care who he's playing, the greatest quarterback of all time is not nervous to play a one and two team in week four. That's fair. All right, fair, fair, fair take, fair take. All right, so I like this have- is, I, I know it, like externally I get this is a big game, but yeah. if you look at it from an X's and O's point of view, I know he's facing Belichick. and I, So here's the thing, you know, what Belichick wants to do and what they do are two different things because it's not like he has Ty Law on one side, Asante Samuel on the other, right? Rodney Harrison and Lawyer Malloy both deep. There's a limit to what he has talent-wise. You look at some of the games, in terms of like the anticipation from an X and O's point of view, This is not the biggest regular season game of Tom Brady's career. You look at some of those Steelers defenses he faced. You look at some of of those Broncos defenses he faced. Ray Lewis, Ed Reed. I mean, those are the kind of things where, you know, this is just all right. He's in a building he used to be. I just don't think that gets to him.
2: And and honestly, you know, Devin McCourty and Matthew Slater were kind of on this early on this week, right, about how the Patriots are not good enough to worry about storylines this week of Tom Brady returning and Brady versus Bill and all this stuff. They're not a good enough team. They have too many things to worry about on their own end. And I would say the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are not quite as dire as the Patriots, obviously, but they just came off a pretty good shellacking you know, to the Rams, right? So they're not in a great spot either necessarily. So this game for both players for all the coaches and everything. I think this is ultimately going to be a whole lot of nothing, to be honest with you. I think we're going to hype it up. I think the media is going to hype it up. I think NBC and and Sunday night football is going to hype it up as they should for ratings and all that kind of stuff. But ultimately both these teams have a lot of work to do, right? Like this is, this is a, this is a work week. This ain't about legacies. This isn't, this isn't about a time for lamenting or, or looking back or reflecting this is a work week for both teams, so I think this is going to be a whole lot of narrative and not much else for the Patriots and the Bucks. Yeah. All right, so Alex and I will be back later in the week to preview this Tampa Bay matchup against the Patriots on Sunday at Gillette Stadium. And on the uh, preview show, we're going to keep it 99.9% of the show is gonna be actual football exodus talk. So if you want to ignore the noise and not listen to all the narratives and all the Hollywood drama and all that kind of stuff about Brady coming back, we're gonna be talking hard hitting football. Analysis of Patriots Buccaneers, how Bill Belichick draws up the game plan against Tom Brady, how Mac Jones and the Patriots offense get going, and what they're going to do on Sunday night football to try to pull off the upset against the defending champs. It's weird to say that and have it not be the Patriots as the defending champs, but that's where we're at right now. So we will be back later in the week for the preview show of Bucks Patriots. Until then, signing off for Alex Barth. I'm Evan Lazar. Thanks for watching everybody.